I'm in James chapter 1. We've been singing about friendship in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. As we come to worship week by week, it is in order that we may be reminded and reconnected to the one who is the source of our strength. Because everybody goes through some trouble. And some people go through lots of trouble. And most of us are still looking forward to the greatest trouble that will come upon our lives. So as James, the pastor, writes his letter, he has in mind the need for us to stay connected to the source. He says in verse 12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. I preach today on the second longest day of 2014. Yesterday was the longest day, the summer solstice. I am not going to preach the longest sermon, however, of the year today. But if you've been out, you realize the sun is setting late. Some of you have been sunburned because you've been out in the sun and the heat has been high. Terry Werlein almost collapsed when we were walking 18 holes today, uh, this week. Terry, didn't you? I mean, Terry had to take a break. Now, I sat down with you, didn't I, Terry? 11.30 to 2.30 on Friday. And it was hot, hot, wasn't it? And it sapped our strength out, didn't it, Terry? Right? So, the illustration of the burning sun, the scorching heat, the danger of... Uh, not drinking enough water and becoming dehydrated, all those things are pictures of what James is addressing in this letter as he talks about trials of various kinds. Now, I want you to go for the crown, all right? Go for the crown. Like Paul says, run to win. You want to run to win. You don't want to run to lose. Amen? 
He says, anybody who wants to run to win must be disciplined in all aspects of their life. And James says here, the one who perseveres will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. That sounds good. That sounds great to me. For the one who perseveres, for the one who stays in there, for the one who keeps going, for the one who endures, for the one who hangs on when it seems like you can't hang on any longer. So if you're on the very edge and you're at the end of your rope, you are in the right place, sister. You are in the right place, brother. Because the Word of God intends to reach down, scoop you up, and keep you close. I found out something this last week that I should have discovered 24 years ago. Somebody should have told me in 1990 this truth. I had no idea about it. I knew my parents' house burned in 1990. I knew it was the year of their 40th anniversary. I knew they lost all the memorabilia of 40 years of marriage and 13 children. I knew all that. I did not know that the house burned down because the well went dry. Did anybody in here know that? My brother said it offhand this week. We were talking about it, and he said, you know, I said, we have a well at my farm. And he said, how deep is it? I said, about 360 feet. He said, that's how deep the well is at the farm. He said, does it ever run out of water? I said, it never runs out of water. He said, you know, the well at the farm, and Danny bought the farm when Dad and Mom left it. He said, the well at the farm runs out in 30 minutes. If you leave the garden hose running for 30 minutes, the well runs dry. He said, that's what happened to Dad. I knew that Dad realized the house was burning. I knew that he'd stuck his head up in the attic and saw the flames. I didn't know that he'd run outside, got the garden hose, went up in the attic with the garden hose, and almost had to fire out when the well ran dry. Like it did every time if you ran that water for 30 minutes. The well ran dry, and that's why my parents' house burned. I finally learned last week and that's why so often we lose the race because the well goes dry we have run out of resources now I want to show you something in this text that will keep the water coming in your life okay you ready? I want you to notice that James says here, for the one who perseveres under trial, all right? The Lord has promised a crown of life for those who love him. Do you see that in this text? Those who love him runs parallel with the one who perseveres under trial. Do you see that? I want you to think for a moment 
about how your love of God, keeping the first commandment, is demonstrated when you are under the severest trial of your life. When the challenge has gotten greater than it's ever been before, and the walls are higher and the giants are taller, when you're in the fiercest combat you've ever been in, that's when the love of God is most clearly visible in your life. And if you are in a conflict, if you are in trouble, and you're going through a trial, I want you to think about how in your life you are going to unfold and reveal the love of God in this moment, this trial, this trouble. Because the one who perseveres in trial is the one who loves his God. That's why it's so good to sing, what a friend I have. What a friend we have in Jesus. It's the love connection with the Father God that sustains you in the trouble. If you depend on your own discipline and self-control, the well will run dry. See, there's no temptation come upon you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He's not going to allow you to be tested or tempted above what you are able, but will with that temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There's a God in heaven who loves you, and if you will stay connected to him, loving him, he's going to bring you through. That well never runs dry. That's why I love that song, One Thing Remains. One Thing Remains. His love never fails, never gives up. It never runs out on you. Your house is not going to burn down because God's love ran out. You're not going to fail in this test because God's love ran out on you. The secret to persevering in the trial and trouble and in your Christian life is the love connection you have with the Father in heaven. That's why it's so important for you every day to defend his reputation because people out there think that God is not good and loving. There are people out there who see God only judging and condemning. And you need to defend his reputation in every venue that you have and defend it in your heart as well. He is the God who loves and his love never ends. And his love for you in the depths of your trouble is just as true as his love for you when you are on the mountain. So I, I want you to stop making excuses when you get in trouble, all right? When any man is tempted, let him not say, God is tempting me. It's so easy. It's so easy when you get in trouble and pain comes into your life to start pointing at God and blaming him. It happened this week in the live chat 
we're just chatting along, and some of you good Christian folks joined in the chat, helped me out, throw me some softballs. And then a couple of atheist guys got in the chat. And there's nothing atheists like better than discussions about pain and heartache and trouble in the world because they know that's a difficult place personally. And it's a difficult place theologically. And they want to pick at that place. And they came in. I, I realized earlier that talking about pain and how it changes you was going to give me more tears around my life than I'd had before. And now I realize, too, that talking about pain and trouble and trials and perseverance in the midst of those troubles, that that's a place sometimes where people come who don't believe in God and they see it as a weakness in our faith. And some of them claim they don't believe in God because of the pain that comes into their life. I'm not saying the question of pain and trouble is easy. I'm saying that God has demonstrated his love for us so powerfully in the death of Christ upon the cross and his embracing of the pain and sorrow of the human condition and that he answers our theoretical questions by becoming man in Jesus of Nazareth and enduring the cross. And he loves us in our trouble. And when Jesus paints the picture of God, it's of his abiding love. So don't accuse God when trouble comes on your life. Sometimes we tend to say when we fail or we fall into sin, well, God made me this way. It's the way of saying God did it, you know. Sometimes we blame God for our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses, which we all have. Everybody has the sin which so easily besets them. And when that sin overtakes us and we stumble and fall, we have this tendency to say, well, God, you made me this way. I got this weakness, you know. I have this passion in my life or whatever it is, and that's why I fall. And really, God, it's kind of your fault that this thing's come upon me. Let no man say when he is tempted, God is tempting me. Why? Because God cannot be tempted by evil. That's the first thing. And it sounds a little odd when James says it here. It feels a little odd because we weren't talking about God being tempted by evil. We were temp talking about ourselves being tempted. And then James says, God cannot be tempted by evil. And here's the thing. In human ethics and morality, it is wrong for a person who has authority over another person to lead them into sin. You know, David sinned twice with Bathsheba. He sinned in that he committed adultery with her, and he sinned in that he manipulated somebody who was under his control and brought them into sin. He brought that woman to his house. I hear people say, well, Bathsheba probably tempted him, you know. She was trying to seduce him. Doesn't matter. When the prophet came to confront David, he did not simply confront him about his adultery. He confronted him about his abuse of power. So if you're the boss, you have a twofold responsibility to keep the commandments and be a person of integrity, yes, and to not abuse the authority which God has given you in your life. That's, it's, it's wrong, you know, for the president of the company 
to take advantage of an intern. It's wrong for the general to take advantage of the lieutenant or the sergeant. That chain of command needs to be protected by an especial accountability and responsibility for those who hold power. Amen? Right? Okay, that's why God cannot be tempted by evil. It would be wrong of God to drag the lure along the bottom of the lake like you were a catfish and him trying to snag you into sin. See, that would be wrong of him. God cannot be tempted by that evil. He's not trying to trap you or trick you or get you into sin. And God is not tempting you to sin. This word tempted is the same word as tested. And when you read it in the scripture, it comes both ways and you have to decide in the context whether it means tempted to sin or tested in your character. A coach will test you when he puts you on the track field. He'll match you up with faster people in the 880 or, or the 800 meter or whatever it is. And he'll test your character and your legs and your strength and your wind by putting you in a fast heat of the 800 meter. Is that wrong of the coach? No, it's right of him. He's increasing your strength. He's giving you the challenge. He's doing what he needs to do. And sometimes God does that with you. He puts you in the fast heat of the 800 meter where you haven't been before. Because you have to run faster there. He's working on your character. He's not tempting you to sin. He's the Father who is growing you, encouraging you, and developing you. When you are tempted to sin, it's either of these three, and this is a good little trilogy to keep in your mind, the world, the flesh, and the devil. You've heard this trilogy before, and it's a good trilogy to keep in your mind. Pastor James mentions all three in his book. Sometimes you are in circumstances that are just evil. You're in an evil structure. That's the world. The world has fallen. It's broken. And sometimes you get put in moral dilemmas because the world has fallen and broken. And sometimes you have to make decisions, and you feel like it's just not fair where I'm stuck. But that's the nature of where we are. So we make our, our decisions and work out our faith in a fallen world. And sometimes our circumstances, sometimes people are inviting us into sin. They're calling us back into the world that we left. The Bible says that Satan is a roaring lion and he goes around the world seeking whom he may devour. That is, evil in the world is not passive, it's active, it's after you. It takes the initiative in your life. It wants to bring you down. Sometimes you know that. You realize it. Man, this, these people are aggressive. This thing in my life really after me. It's not like you have to go out there sometimes. You find that evil comes at you. And that's true. That's how the scripture depicts evil. But often it's the evil desire inside of me. And this is what James deals with here. Let no man say when he's tempted... I'm tempted of God. God did this. No, no, it's not that. A man is tempted when he is 
dragged away by his evil desire. He's dragged away by his evil desire. There's something broken inside of you. And it wants to drag you away from the fountain of goodness and love which is God in your life. And you sense it. Day after day, when you go to work, when you show up in the places where you go, you sense that, that wanting to drag you away from the commitment you've made and the love relationship you have with God. And so there's two dimensions here to what happens to you. It's being dragged away from the love connection of God, which sustains you and gives you victory in every circumstance. And then you are enticed to go in the door where you should not go. Drug away from the God who loves you and enticed to go where you should not go. That's what temptation is. And temptation, when it's completed, ends up in sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings death. That's why the Bible talks about sin so much. Because it's bad for you. You think it's good for you. Just like Adam and Eve said, it's good for food. It's desirable to make men wise. It's pleasant to look at. Let's eat that apple. Or whatever it was. You think it's good for you. You think if you go do this thing, you're going to be so much smarter. You're going to have so much greater experience. All your friends have already experienced this, and you're the oddball out. And if you go do this, you're going to grow up. This is what it means to be an adult. And all that's just a bunch of baloney. Because it's just, it's, they're just dragging you away and enticing you into something that eventually, leads to death the death of things that are pure and good and true and real in your life the death of relationships that are precious to you threatened by this enticement this dragging away you can lose the sweetest most wonderful things in life when you let yourself be drug away and enticed when it's completed death comes from that sin so the scripture says you resist the devil and he will flee from you stop making excuses you know yourself stay connected to the God who loves you listen to his truth don't be deceived See, that's what he says here. Don't be deceived. There are lies out there. People are telling them. Don't you tell those lies. Don't believe the lies and don't tell those lies. God's word is truth. He says we are born again through the word of truth I just heard this morning about someone who is thirsty for a different kind of life who now has a Bible in their hand and they're reading through the scripture God speaks through his word that's why we stay centered 
in the book. Because God draws us to himself through his word, and his word teaches us and brings us into his presence. Don't be deceived. God's at work in your life, doing the thing he's planned to do, called you to do, protecting you, caring for you, and keeping you. And the source of your strength is that powerful love connection you have with God, especially in the moment of your greatest trouble, trial, and sorrow. When you get there, you think about Paul and Silas, who only obeying God, went out to preach the word, only following God, gave witness of the Lord Jesus and his death and resurrection and called men to repentance, only following God, arrested, beaten, and thrown in jail. And it is dead midnight when Paul and Silas break into song. I think about that song sometimes. It's not as if God is torturing them into this situation. It's just where life has brought them. And wicked people have taken them. And though they stood for good, wicked things happened to them. And in this circumstance, in the jail, at midnight, having been beaten, a song arises in their heart. And I don't think on the whole planet that night there was a sweeter melody than the song Paul and Silas sang to God. I know you can sing his praises when everything's good in your life and things are going your way. But what kind of song will you bring to God when trouble has come? The devil said to God, no wonder Job is faithful to you. Look what you give him. If you take away all the stuff, he'll curse you to your face. That accusation of God's servant Job is the same accusation the devil brings against you. He says about you, sure, you walk with God as long as things are going well and you don't have any troubles, but take away that health or that wealth and Joe or Jane they'll curse you to your face that's the accusation the devil makes about you and the love of God is nowhere clearer in your life than when you are beaten and bruised and bleeding and somehow there's still a song in you. I think when Paul and Silas broke into song, the devil must have just thrown up his hands and left. <laughs> what do you got to do to these people? <laughs> what do you got to do to these people? Where does this song come from? 
It comes from a confidence in the goodness of God. Look, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of the heavenly lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. I've had people accuse me of saying, you, you attribute every good thing to God and all the bad stuff you give to people or something else. That's true. That's true. Every good thing, I say thank you to God. And I don't ever attribute God with sin and evil. And I'm not constructing my theology so that God is the author of evil. I don't believe God gave birth to evil. God is good and in him there is no darkness at all. And a good God is fundamental to my faith and my understanding of how the world is configured. When trouble comes, the first place I ought to look is right here. And say, God, did I participate in this in any way? It ought to be self-examination. In the middle of the jail or wherever it is, Paul and Silas, look inside. Just check it out here. Maybe it's not. Maybe there's not a thing you've done to contribute to the sorrow in your life. But so often people blame God when they could just point their finger right back here and say, oh, I know. I know why I'm in this mess. Yeah, maybe it's not 100% you. But whatever percentage it is of you that brought this trouble on yourself, acknowledge it. Be the man to say, yes, it's me, and God forgive me. And if there's pain in somebody else's life because of you, have the courage to say, I'm sorry for what I contributed to the sorrow and trouble in your life. And if you can't attribute this painful, evil thing to anybody around, then you just trust God with it. Say, God, I don't know why this trial's come upon my life, but I know this. You are good all the time, and I trust you in my sorrow, and I will persevere in this trial by loving you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Bow with me, please. Somebody in the room, you just need to drop your head and pray and say, God, I need you. I feel like the well's dry. And I need to find the source that never runs dry. So would you just reach out to God, finding in him the source that you need for the trial that you're in. Somebody in the room just needs to say, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. You've never really surrendered your life to Christ. And it's time to do so. The Holy Spirit is calling you. Would you just say yes? Someone in the room has followed Christ, but a long way off, way off on the edge. And all these days, Jesus has been inviting you in to the closer fellowship with him. And it's where you need to be for the trouble that you're in and the trouble that's coming. God, we pray today that your Holy Spirit will make clear to us your will for our lives, your purpose in us, 
what you have called us to do, where we can find our source in the middle of our trouble. God, sustain us in the trials of life and give us the faith to trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.